Welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast that uncovers the competitive spirit that drives us. On today's episode of The Trophy Life, I welcome PJ Kwan. PJ is the author of Take the Ice, PJ's best known for her voice. You can hear her on the radio, on television, and most notably at the Olympic Games. She's going to share what it takes to get to the top of being a sports announcer. Join us and don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a comment. So welcome, PJ. Thank Thank you for having me, Kelly. Thank you for joining us on The Trophy Life. I had an opportunity to listen to some of your interviews, and I must confess that I have been fangirling your interviews for several years. You might have to say that. You know, I remember when we met, and I believe it was in 2010 in Kingston, Ontario. I had been following your voice for a long time. And when Adam moved up to Toronto, I used to say, oh, who is that? Who is that? And then Brian and and Tracy, of course, know you. So they would say who you were. And I would listen to the CBC broadcast, or I would listen to the Grand Prix that were on, at that time, I think it was Ice Network. And I I was just so impressed with your voice and I was so impressed with the pronunciation that you had for all of the names. Now, tell everybody a secret about why you can pronounce so many names correctly. Do you know what's so funny, Kelly? Everything that you do in your life leads you to somewhere, even when you don't know. So when I was at the University of Toronto, I was studying modern languages. I've always had a fascination for languages, Mm -hmm. and I ended up studying five different languages. And I have varying degrees of fluency in those languages, Mm -hmm. and I keep picking up other little bits and pieces from other languages just because Mm -hmm. because I've traveled the world so much. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier if you can communicate in a language in the country in which you find yourself. Lots of shortcuts. You don't have to rely on anybody else. So I think that that's probably why. Mm-hmm. But um, I like to think that, you know, when you get to center ice, mm-hmm. that's the one time where you as a skater, that's your moment. Right. And I want to contribute to your moment. Your mom named you something. So I, I want to be able to get that name right. I will never forget graduating from the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was announced to go across the stage, you know, to, to get my uh, degree. Mm-hmm. And the announcer called me Patricia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Patricia, whoever says Patricia, for goodness sakes, right. it's Patricia. Right. It's a very right. old fashioned name. Right. But I just thought, Patricia. So I always remember that. And that was like 100 years ago before schools were almost invented. So I've always carried that forward as an announcer. I really like to get the names right if I can. I mean, we all screw up from time to time, but that's my goal. Well, I appreciate it. Um, And I appreciate some of the backstory that you give with names of different nationalities. So I was very interested in getting a little nugget of um, world culture, you know, as you are you know, doing some of the color for the events. Now you started skating at a young age. Like I think everyone in Canada does, right? (laughs) Is that mandatory? Is that mandatory with maybe you have to like maple syrup. You have to know uh, the difference between an oak leaf and a maple leaf and you must skate, right? And you must own the Canada goose. (laughs) I have friends in North Carolina who insisted that uh, they had a friend in Ahoski, North Carolina, mm-hmm. who insisted that the Canada goose was actually native of Ahoski, which I wanted to say Canada mm-hmm. goose has Canada in the name, but really yeah. it's a story for a different day. Yeah, you know, yeah. Lots of Canadian kids, certainly in my age group, all started 
with skating. I mean, we're a cold place. So Mm -hmm. I started because my parents recognized an extremely shy child, Mm -hmm. one of three children, and they thought that it would be a good way to help me become more confident in front of other people. So I probably started skating at around three or four and I loved it. And Mm -hmm. I loved the way that it made me feel like gliding across the ice. And I love the fact that I, I didn't have to be myself on the ice. And I'll never forget my mom saying to me, you know, you think that you're feeling nervous or shy mm-hmm. or frightened. Imagine how that other person is feeling, that other little girl. Why don't you go mm-hmm. talk to that other little girl who may mm. not be feeling as comfortable? So when I was able to get outside of myself, I thought it was a great strategy for my mom. Mm-hmm. But getting outside of myself to be able to talk to another child um, sort of set me on the path. I'm still, by nature... I'm what they call, I think, a social introvert. So I'm somebody who can certainly talk to people and I have no problem with that. But I like to have my alone time and I like to kind of rest by myself. Uh, But skating has given me everything. I can't I can't say that enough. You know, um, I did a series with skaters that have applied a lot of the discipline and habits that they developed over the years of their training. And I did a podcast with them and Lexi Gillis that went into Disney and Tim Delinsky, who's in cruise lines and and also doing entertainment and wants to be a teacher, so a music teacher, actually. Wow. Um, So I've talked to so many people that went into finance or went into entertainment, but they said that the habits that they learned in skating, even one worked in television, and he told me that his producer decided to hire him over someone else that had a little bit more experience because she knew that he would be able to get to the set on time at three o'clock in the morning because she had skated in her life and she knew the discipline that went into getting up early, staying until the job is done, being able to take criticism as feedback and not insults. So they were the things that so many people shared with me. So what are some of those habits that connected you to the life that you have today? I think that uh, among other things, that work ethic that you talk about, Mm -hmm. the possibility of failing at every turn. I mean, let's face it, um, sport and in particular figure skating is riddled with failure. I mean, there are very few victorious moments. Mm -hmm. And as my friend and and, uh, Olympic medalist Debbie Wilkes says, nobody in the history of the world has had more than one perfect performance in competition. Mm. Um, We're always thinking of ways that we can do things better. We're always trying to invent a way that is more efficient or or stronger. So Mm -hmm. I think all of those skills have certainly stood me in good stead. The other thing that has really helped me is the confidence in being creative. As a shy child with lots of imagination, lots of ideas in her head, I didn't know that there was ever going to be an outlet for that. And skating provided that outlet. And then fast forward to becoming a writer. I mean, I've been writing for CBC Sports for 15, 16 years. And that's without a professional writing background. Mm -hmm. But I think that what I had was, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're never going to hire me again. They're going to publish this one piece and then... I'll be done. So I think that the confidence that a failure is not going to define me, I think that that's one of the things that has been maybe the most important gift of skating, because certainly there were never a lot of medals around my neck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there had to be something else. But it introduced you, you you said that that social interaction of identifying someone's comfort zone and being able to go over and introduce yourself. So they were like your first exposure to what it makes a good coach. 
and I was a coach for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that my experience as a coach also led to me being a strong interviewer. So Mm -hmm. if you were a skater who came off the ice Mm-hmm. with a terrible skate. Mm-hmm. I was always hopeful that you would talk to me versus somebody who didn't really get that because I, I felt that I, having been the person with so many terrible skates, mm-hmm. that I could still find something positive to discuss with you about that skate. You know, I'll never forget world champion Caitlin Osmond was at a Skate Canada and in her free program, she fell five times. I when remember. does a world champion yeah. fall? five times. She had injured herself in the short and by the time she hit the free and I I wanted to be able to talk to her about that. And in my interview, I just said, you know, you fell five Mm -hmm. times. And Mm -hmm. rather than shaming her about it, Mm -hmm. I said, what was that about? And she said, I didn't want to come off the ice having just singled the rest of the jumps and not even trying. She Mm -hmm. said, I felt that I could look myself in the mirror if I at least tried regardless of the result. So I I think that those first interactions of putting myself in somebody else's shoes, um, that's a allowed me to write in a compassionate way, I hope, and has allowed me to interview in a compassionate way, Mm -hmm. which is what I feel is really important. Wow. You know, I'm always so impressed when I speak to someone like you or Jackie or some of the other uh, people that are so knowledgeable about the details in sports. So I have to do a humble brag and I'm going to say, I believe Carolina Costner fell four or five times in 2009 Worlds in LA. Is that true? I think you might be right. I would have to okay. remember the tape in my head. I always feel I validated so. when I can think of any kind of skating trivia because people will ask me, what year did Adam skate to, say, Carmen or something? Yeah. And I'd say, um, did he? Did he skate to that? <laughs> I don't remember. You know, um, so I am not a trivia buff, but there are some memories that I remember as if they happened yesterday. So fast forward, you're a young girl, you're learning all of the tricks and trades. You decide that at some point you go into college versus continuing a competitive career. Is that yes. fair to say? Yes. And you are coaching at the same time. Um, I was coaching only a very little bit in university when I really started mm-hmm. coaching was after my oldest child was born okay. because I felt that coaching would allow me to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. Right. And what I really wanted to do was to focus on my family. I had been in the hotel business uh, between college and, um, uh, which wasn't that long, four years, um, between college and when I had my first baby. Put it this way, Mm -hmm. you come back to who you really are. So when I was a child, I can remember, and I came across it once and it's cringeworthy, a notebook on black construction paper with Mm -hmm. gold writing, which I thought was the fanciest writing you could ever do. And it was poetry, terrible poetry. But, you know, I can be forgiven. I was like seven. Mm -hmm. And it was a gift to my parents. It was honestly, it's just totally laughable. But what do I love to do? I love to write. So that came home to roost. And I was the neighborhood teacher. So Mm -hmm. if you, the little boy across the street, Mark, whatever his last name was, didn't know how to tie his shoes. And I knew Mm -hmm. how to tie my shoes. So Mm -hmm. I was the one that, you know, would have kids lined up and would teach them with the two bunny ears and the crossover and whatever. I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I ended up as a coach and a very happy coach for 30 Mm -hmm. years while I raised my children and then got further and further into figure skating in a different way is no surprise to anybody. I Mm -hmm. I love coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss it. I'm not coaching at the moment. For people who are in front of, because I was a dancer and I love to speak, you know, I'm a public speaker now. So I think that that's kind of the same thing. You know, you are telling a story because you're telling a story as a dancer and you're engaging people to 
you know, kind of reconcile emotions or to activate or ignite emotions. So you are communicating. And I think for you with the skating, you really got grounded in the technical aspects so that you could intelligently interview people. Because I know for me, when I see someone uh, step all over something that is, they're asking questions that I can see an athlete struggling with, where they say yeah. something about um, an under rotation versus a downgrade, or if yeah. they say a flip instead of a Lutz, or if they say that thing that you did in the corner, I can just see the hesitation on the the skater, the athlete's face, like there's a loss of not respect, but the credibility of the interviewer has lessened. So I imagine that gives you credibility, right? Well, it gives you credibility, but I think, you know, as a mom of three and you're a mom, right? Uh, I've always taught my kids that, you know, the truth will out. So you right. may as well just admit it. If you don't have all of the information, you're better off to say to a skater, listen, I'm not sure. Right. Was that a lots or a flip in the corner? You right. Know, tell, me, tell me what happened in the corner. Right. And then it allows the skater to sort of fill in the blanks. The I've talked to lots of athletes in different sports and, and of course, have announced a ton of different sports. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know any other sports mm-hmm. in the way that I know figure skating. Right. But what I do know is if you if you are respectful in asking your questions, people will respond to that. It's when mm-hmm. you're kind of pompous or arrogant or filled mm-hmm. with yourself or or um, talking about um, something about which you know nothing. Right. That's when I think the credibility gets lessened. I think everybody is entitled to not have all of the information at their fingertips. So this is where I think you can build that relationship. The other thing is, as a writer, and I don't call myself a journalist, mm-hmm. because journalists have a very specific set of skills. And I'm not trained as a journalist, but what I am as a writer, and I love to write. But mm-hmm. what I will say to a skater is, they tell me something. If they conv- confide in me in something, mm-hmm. that's as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use that mm-hmm. or exploit that moment of course. to make me look like anything. I like I said I have been listening to a lot of your interviews and recently you um I think it was about ten, 8 months ago maybe um Andrew Poche Yeah actually listened. it was in the summertime you're right so okay. whenever that was And you we were talking about having forceful interviewers or people that have a certain bend or slant with the with the, the questioning Yes you know Their they're agenda, really leading not the story Exactly yeah. and now with the political Some people will call it a political movement, but it's actually human rights for me. I consider human rights movement. And going into the Sochi Olympics, there was a start about the LGBTQ propaganda laws, which moved into the 2018. And I do remember that going into, you know, that summit they have the media summit. Why don't you explain what that media summit is? Well, I've never attended it because when I go to the Olympic games, I am part of the organizing committee. So that's who hires the announcers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I am aware of is that it's the the organizing committee and they are connecting with all of the different um, broadcasters on one session. And I think it's the written press on another Mm -hmm. about kind of what their games is all about. Right. Um, So it's, it's a big deal. Um, and it's sort of a, a bit of a kickoff mm-hmm. to where where the Olympics is headed. Athletes go yeah. from station to station and all of the television, not just NBC, but all the, you know, um, as far as like entertainment TV sure. and traditional news TV, traditional sports, plus the press. 
magazines and then online media is there as well. And so you might be with a podcaster in one session and then you might be with, you know, someone from NBC in the next yep. breath, you know, um, yep. but the media kind of has a, a few media generating questions or topics that they'll bring up. What, what's your advice to athletes as they're trying to answer these questions that can be so, you know, kind of put them in a box? Well, I, I do media training right. and my favorite thing to do, media, favorite group to do media training with are the really young ones Yes, okay. uh, because they just are, are so innocent and they have such great responses. Mm-hmm. And I always say to anybody who has to speak <laughs> microphone, it's PJ's five second rule. Mm-hmm. If you don't know where you're going with a sentence, don't start. Wait till you've collected yourself. And as an athlete, if there's a question that you're being asked um, that you're not comfortable with, you can do one of several things. And one is to just simply say, you know what, I'm not comfortable talking about Uncle Harold and the debacle from him coming out of the Ritz Carlton. Mm -hmm. What I am comfortable talking about is the fact that I've added a quad in my short program. Mm -hmm. So you can always uh, turn the question to something that you would like to answer. I know that it's a wonderful tool to get athletes talking about something that sort of lulls them into a false sense of security. It's one of the things that I've done before when I know that, uh, like Tessa and Scott, perfect example, mm-hmm. backstage interview, everybody was talking about thing A. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to know about thing A, but if you ask them thing A off the top, mm-hmm. they're going to give you the, what I call the 100% answer. You know, we right. give it 110% actually out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you need to do is you need to ask them an oddball question, like, yeah. what'd you have for breakfast today? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, oh, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Well, gee, you know, we do. Right. Uh, and then you come in with what you really want to know about. But I, I find that a lot of people are super lazy. They're asking the absolute obvious question rather than asking about something that, that can ad- advance the story, as we mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. So to talk about LGBTQ rights to mm-hmm. an athlete who's going to a, a country where those rights are restricted, mm-hmm. that's a very ordinary question. Mm-hmm. Um, to ask that same athlete, you, you've grown up in the United States, you have mm-hmm. many freedoms that that mm-hmm. are not allowed to other athletes in, in your same um, sexual mm-hmm. orientation. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. What do you think it means? Mm-hmm. Like all those different things are ways of finding out the answer that are frankly more human. And this is the right. other thing that people don't understand. Figure skaters look extremely mature on the ice. They That's look right. like fully evolved yes. adults and in control of themselves and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. Believe me, nine-tenths of them are goofballs. Mm-hmm. Like they're just teenagers. They're just mm-hmm. young people. They're just mm-hmm. just kind of in that first right. flush of adulthood. So they don't have all the answers. So to expect them to come up with an answer that's going to satisfy everybody mm-hmm. is, is not realistic. I mm-hmm. think it's important to give an athlete context so that they can properly answer a question. Mm-hmm. And if the journalist doesn't give you the context, mm-hmm. then you turn it around right. and say, I'm not comfortable in answering that question, but I will tell you dot, 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 dot. And then you go on with it. Now, with the media training that you do, how does the athlete get their message out? Perhaps they want to answer a question that's not asked. So how do you tease that Pasquale's doing your new program or David Wilson is fixing your something? So how do you tease that out? I 
And I know this from years of having mm-hmm. been interviewed. You know, I get interviewed as the figure skating expert on, you know, radio across CBC and, and right. all over the place. And I always say there isn't a question you're going to ask that I can't answer. May mm-hmm. not be the answer that you're expecting. Mm-hmm. But again, you can always turn the corner. So if you ask me, so this morning you went out and you did your short program and you had some issues with the jumps. What do you have to say about that? You know, mm-hmm. what I have to say about that is that it was my performance. But what I'd like to tell you is the fact that Pasquale Camerlengo built that program program for me or David Wilson Ah, built that program for me and I absolutely love it. And that's the more important consideration Mm -hmm. in my short program story. So I always say to athletes, you should have three things. I love threes, by the way, Mm -hmm. although four is my favorite number. Three things in your back pocket that you want to say. Okay. Regardless of the question. If none of those questions come up, but that's the messaging that you'd like to get out there, Mm -hmm. just piggyback one of those things on the back of an existing question. And if it's compelling Mm -hmm. enough, that becomes the clip, Mm -hmm. Um, not the original question of what happened in your short program. It's, I got to tell you, I fell in love with this music because David Wilson brought it to me, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Athletes are extremely obedient. And in figure skating, your coach and your parents and the Federation tells you where to go, where to stand, what to wear, all these different things that they tell you. So as young people, and I've said this to young people that I'm doing this training with, um, just because they are asking you something does not mean that you have to answer it. So you have permission to go another way. And Mm -hmm. we sometimes have to give young people permission to defy the adults, Mm -hmm. especially adults who are being very, very strident with them or very aggressive with them in terms of asking questions. Super important to be able to say, you're in charge of what comes out of your mouth. So Mm -hmm. if that doesn't make you comfortable, you get to change it. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that. I love that. I'm going to take you in a time machine and I'm going to bring you back to, I think it's 1990 Worlds in Halifax. Is that right? Yes. Right. Okay. And you're there as a fan. Yeah, with my mom. And you realize that is a, I, I love to talk about moments where people have a, that moment of clarity where like the dots are connected or the veil has been lifted and you see the connection of all the hard work that you're doing. And those moments of frustration were really just catalyzing this moment of clarity. So tell us about what happened in Halifax in 1990. So Will Flangevin, who is maybe one of the best announcers who, who's ever drawn a breath, um, was one of the announcers at the Worlds in Halifax. My mom, who was a national level judge, uh, we shared figure skating together. It was one of our wonderful things that we were able to share together. And we were there. And, you know, it's funny. I was I was in the stands and I was kind of listening to the announcer. I'd never been on a mic before in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never even considered what it would be like to be an announcer. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know what? They've got really good seats. Mm -hmm. I bet you I could do that. And you know what? They probably don't have to pay for tickets. And then I thought, I bet you their hotel's paid for. And as a young mom with, um, I was pregnant at the time with my last child, um, but I had two little girls and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun if I could become an announcer and then maybe I could go places and I could get free hotel rooms and, you know, my then husband could come with me with the kids and we could have kind of a family vacation on the cheap. Mm -hmm. That was really where my mind Yes, of course. And then I came back from Worlds. And two things happened. A friend whose brother was running the uh, synchronized swimming, now called artistic swimming, but Synchro Ontario, they were having the national championships in uh, Toronto, mm-hmm. and he was looking for announcers. So myself and his sister, my girlfriend, uh, we went because we were both bilingual, mm-hmm. and I took to it like a duck to water. I just mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. So then I went to the local skating organization, and we have a big summer competition in the Toronto area at the time. And I said, I'd really like to be considered as an announcer. I know the right. sport. 
forward and turns out I'm feeling comfortable on the mic and whatever. And so they did. Now, the next part of the story is very interesting because at the time you could not be an announcer and uh, a professional making your, your livelihood from figure skating. And I was a coach at the time. So I remember them coming to me and saying, yeah, 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 you can be an announcer, but you know, you're only going to be able to go so far. And I said to them, and I do not know where the chutzpah for this came from, Mm -hmm. but I said to them, if I'm not able to dream about going the whole distance, I'm not interested. I'll just pursue announcing with another sport. Mm -hmm. I said, but I think you'd be crazy to lose me. But if that's the rule, then okay. It was fascinating to me because then the organization for the next seven or eight years before they changed the rule, I came up on the agenda every year at the AGM. Louis Stong mm-hmm. was one of the people who sort of pushed this forward. Of course, I know. Coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Dore, of course, mm-hmm. um, to say that an exception should be made in my case, that although I made my living from figure skating, I could be considered as an announcer. Now, also at this time in the world, there were very few women announcers, certainly in North America and in Europe. There, there were more in Japan and other places, but in the West, very few female announcers and even fewer who were bilingual. So that part sort of is what set it all in motion. But it was 1990. Here we are today. Wow. It's crazy. And th- that's what I, you know, I've, I've been able to talk to different athletes about that moment of clarity will come to you where yes. it's like, oh my gosh, this is why I've been getting up early. It wasn't for the Olympics. That is another thing that people will say to me. How do you know if one of my kids is a future Olympian? And I say, they will tell you. Yes. They will tell you right. with the crazy behavior and the obsession to work and to improve. Because if they don't have those habits, you can't throw enough money at someone to get them to be better at something. So we've seen it. We've seen it before. Yeah. You know, uh, just because I was going to go to the music camp and learn how to play the flute better does not mean that I actually stayed at the music camp. (laughs) That's right. Right. That's right. So I always wanted to get to the Olympics. I always, in the back of my mind, I thought I'm going to get to the Olympics. I was an ice dancer without a partner Mm -hmm. and was frankly not a great body type. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how's this ever going to happen? And it was always there from the time I was a kid, always there. I'm going to get to the Olympics one day. And I didn't want to go just as a spectator. So I had no idea how any of this was going to happen. Right. And it was only um, at the Worlds in 2001, which were in Vancouver, um, that I met the woman who was the sport manager for uh, figure skating in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, may I please, you know, send you a demo? I'd love to be considered. And she said, sure. And at the time, uh, there was a lot more French involved in Olympic announcing than there is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many more French speakers from the Canadian side of the Mm-hmm. order than on the U.S. side. So many of the French-speaking announcers ended up being Canadians, and I was mm-hmm. thrilled to be one of them. So you're not only did you go to Salt Lake, but you have a total of nine Olympic experiences under your belt. Is that right? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Since nope. 2002, all of them except London. And then the Youth Olympic Games in January of, uh, where are we at? 2020. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Um, through the throughout the states, the pandemic has been the reaction and the discipline of our infectious care has been completely different from Texas to Pennsylvania, from Florida to um, Rhode Island. It's inconsistent. Let's say, put it that way. It's it's inconsistent here too, mm-hmm. and I think in in some ways, how could it not be? 
it's not like any of us were alive in 1918 to really know what we should be doing or yeah. how we should be doing it. And I, there, there are definitely mistakes that have been made across the world. Right, you know, right, right. Pick a country, yeah. there are mistakes that have happened. I would have loved to live in New Zealand, though, I must say. <laughs> She's doing a pretty uh, brilliant job there. So. Yes. Um, Easy to do when you're an island. Yeah. And the population yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Much easier to do. And Australia has done an admirable job mm-hmm. as well. But mm-hmm. I always say easier to do when you're an island. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've got so many humans, you know, moving yeah. through our space from North yeah. to South America that it, it's much more complicated and Europe as well. Right. So, but I think that I'm feeling optimistic that we're getting on Closer. track. I feel yes. optimistic that that we are moving towards a goal that we all share, and that is everybody getting vaccinated and the, the pandemic sort of slowing down and maybe even shutting down. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, as I said, the inconsistencies are completely to be expected mm-hmm. because people are just trying to do what they think is right, which is not necessarily what turns out to be right or wrong. What's your it's biggest takeaway? Time. What's your biggest takeaway from the shutdown to figure out work and to figure out your social relationships? Like, what was your biggest takeaway from the pandemic? My biggest takeaway mm-hmm. is that the imagination is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest takeaway is that you can do what you never in a million years thought you would be able to do. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is my daughter and I co-owned the family home in which my kids were raised. Mm-hmm. She, I didn't want to go into a condo. She didn't want to go into a condo. So we co-owned the home together. Mm-hmm. We opened our home to my mother-in-law, um, who's going to be 95, who lived in long-term care and uh, my ex-husband. Uh, which mm-hmm. is, you know, we separated. That's like, your, that's your Olympic medal, PJ. That's your <laughs> Olympic <medal. laughs> We separated in 1996, but you know what? This has been a, bl- and we're not together. So right. in case anybody thinks that there's yeah. some sort of rom-com happening. Connection, here, yeah. um, but we decided way back when, when we heard that long-term care facilities in Washington, that was the start. Yes. And that if the Washington situation got a little bit out of control, then we were going to take her and bring her here. She's now mm-hmm. going to stay here. Uh, but what a gift. I, I feel for yeah. our entire family, you know, my daughters to be able to spend time mm-hmm. with their grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, just on Sunday, my other daughter who is, um, you know, at home, doesn't go out, doesn't go anywhere, mm-hmm. groceries get delivered. Yes. So she comes here and helps us with care on, on a couple of occasions a week. So the two girls with their grandmother were making Chinese dumplings on Sunday. Like it's just... Mm-hmm. It's the most amazing, which they haven't done since they were children. She helped me out right. a lot with childcare when my kids were little. Right. So to have that kind of time with their grandmother, that's been the biggest takeaway is that yeah. you just don't know what's going to happen. No, it's not all bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge struggle for lots of people, but then for uh, those people who are struggling, it's an opportunity for you to inject yourself in, in their lives and to, to show that you care. So I I love the caring and compassion that I'm seeing across sort of all levels. And I'm truly keeping those who are struggling sort of in my heart and in my thoughts um, that we get through this quickly. So that's my takeaway. Wow. Well, like I said, that is an Olympic medal. I mean, just to, just to have adult children and then to show your children how you treat our aging family members, you know, with respect and the dignity that you are offering your mother-in-law is the best gift, right? I think so too. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And my son, who is uh, several provinces away, you know, we always connect Mm -hmm. in with uh, on um, Zoom or FaceTime Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's been an opportunity to sort of redefine our family. 
in a way that, you know, when you're a mom and you know this, you Mm -hmm. got little kids at home, you're bonded as a family because the little kids can't drive. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. Yes. So mom's in charge. Yeah. So, and I raised them sort of as a single mom. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they find their own way. They become adults and they, Mm -hmm. um, you know, move off into the world and you don't have that kind of interaction in the same way. Right. So I think it's, it's really quite wonderful. And of course, my daughter has been working from home. She works in IT Mm -hmm. every day since, Mm -hmm. (laughs) since the start of this. She has sort of a suite in the basement. I've been here in my office in the corner, as I call Mm -hmm. it. My ex-husband has been helping to care for his mom because she doesn't speak English. So all of these different kind of threads have connected us all Mm -hmm. in a way that we wouldn't have been ever connected. And I consider that to be maybe the biggest gift of all. Plus, you can really do things that you don't think you could ever do. Yes. You know what? The, just the just um, the challenge of transforming what you don't want yes. into something that you can squeeze some joy out of and some yep. lessons that are productive and lo- lifelong serving is yep. such a great experience. Well, I, I just so want to thank you for your time today. And thank you for leaving us on such a positive note about transforming a loss or an interruption into long lasting lifelong lessons. So I appreciate you know, that. Me, I just say that for athletes mm-hmm. who are nearing the end of their career, I've talked to yes. lots of them who don't know what's next. Again, take solace in the fact that a path will present itself in yes. front of you and you'll just start putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're somewhere. As I said, my modern languages degree at the University of Toronto, I thought I was going to be in the hotel business for the rest of my life and look where my life has led me. So right. just be open to possibilities because I think I think they're out there. Well, I, I definitely agree with you. And uh, now you, will you be in um, Tokyo this summer? I'm not going to be in Tokyo. I have lots of friends and colleagues who are going there. I will be in Beijing. Uh, so that part's pretty exciting. Tokyo, I think, is going to be a different one. And I, yes. I I wish the athletes well. I think it's going to be challenging. I just hope that everybody can stay safe. And that's my hope for everybody across yeah. the world. I hope that we can all get our, our vaccines and yeah. just kind of move on into our new normal. That's right. what I'm hoping. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for joining us on The Trophy Life. Kelly, thank you for having me and all the best and congratulations on all of your efforts. Well, thank you. For more information on what influenced my trophy life, check out my new book, Parent Up, Inspire Your Child to Be Their Best Self, available at all of your favorite bookstores. As always, you can find me on Instagram at krippon. For questions and comments and more information, check out my website, kellyrippon.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.